And we're going to continue this morning on a series that we're calling Walking by Faith in the Spirit. Walk by Faith in the Spirit. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. And then Galatians 5 and 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, there's a few thoughts that have been on my heart strong this week, and um, I want to begin there. I've got plenty of notes, but I'm more interested in what the Holy Spirit would have to say to us than, than me necessarily rigidly following a, a set of notes that I've prepared. And this first thought is the benefits of salvation are freely given, but are not automatically enjoyed. The benefits of salvation are freely given, but not automatically enjoyed. And the reason they're not automatically enjoyed is because we enjoy the benefits of our salvation by faith and walking in the Spirit. Amen. A born-again believer who's been given everything that Jesus has been given may never enjoy a single benefit that has already been given to them if they continue to live their lives by sight instead of by faith, and if we continue to focus on the flesh instead of the things of the Spirit. So we see that the, in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. To walk by sight means to live your life based upon the way things look, seem, and feel, the way things appear. Amen. And we've said that if we're going to live our lives based upon the way things look, seem, feel, appear, then Satan can manipulate the way things look, seem, feel, and appear, and therefore he can manipulate you. Amen. But to live your life by faith, to walk by faith, is to live your life based upon what God has said, what he has established, the way things truly are as he has proclaimed to you and me in his word, through his word. Amen. And walking by faith then means that things may look, seem, feel, and appear one way, but we know what the word says. And rather than responding, and that's a key word that's been emphasized by the Lord throughout this entire series of teaching this year, is how we respond, right? Because every strategy, every tactic, every weapon that Satan tries to use against you and me is designed uh, to provoke from you and me a wrong response. He's trying to get you to respond in a way that will lead you to death, in a way that will lead you to darkness, in a way that will lead you to confusion, in a way that will lead you to ignorance, in a way that, that will lead you further and further away from in enjoying the benefits of your salvation. Now, <clears throat> this week I was directed by the Holy Spirit to do some writing from the account of Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. And I'll, I'll just touch briefly on that, but I want to use... Naaman's situation as um, an Old Testament example of, of what we're talking about here. And if you're, if you're familiar with his story, Naaman was the chief military officer for the uh, kingdom of Syria. And in that time, Syria was perhaps the greatest and most powerful nation on planet Earth. And so he served uh, just underneath the king of Syria he was a very powerful man, and he was greatly loved and greatly favored because he was a military genius and had won many victories for the nation of Syria. And um, he had went into Israel on numerous occasions to raid Israel and actually had a servant girl, a slave that he had kidnapped and forced into slavery, uh, in his own house. 
And if you are familiar with Naaman's story, Naaman had leprosy. And leprosy, of course, is a, a horrible disease. It, it slowly eats away at your body. It, it grossly disfigures you and, and ultimately kills you. There's no cure. And so, again, um, you know, Naaman was a dead man walking. And, and we see that. And what does it say about the heart of this young Israelite girl that she says to Naaman's wife one day in passing, if only my master was in Samaria where the prophet is because the prophet could heal him. And, of course, when you're in such a desperate situation as Naaman was in, they decide, well, we're going we're gonna to go to Samaria. We're going we're gonna to find a cure. If, there, you know, if there's any ray of hope, you know, we're going to go and see if Elisha the prophet can help us. And so he loads up this huge entourage. He has all this gold, all this silver, ten changes of the finest clothes that money can buy, and he, and he heads out for Elisha's house. And again, if you're familiar with the story, you know that Elisha did not come out to greet him, did not come to the, even the door to say hello to him, but instead he told Naaman to go dip himself seven times in the Jordan River. And Naaman was just so grateful for these uh, instructions, and, and he went and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan River. Is that right? No. No, he actually, the Bible says, became furious. He was offended, and he stomped off mad. He climbed back up on his high horse, and he headed back to Syria angry. Probably, we don't have this in the Scriptures, but probably planning how he was going to seek vengeance against uh, Israel for being rejected the way he was rejected, for being denied the way he was, he was denied. Okay. Now, here, here is, and, and any story that's in the scriptures are there for us to learn from and benefit from and hopefully relate to in our, in our own lives. And one of the things that we see, of course, is that Naaman was trying to use the ways of this world to operate in the ways of God. He needed to receive a miracle from God, and he was trying to receive the miracle from God by using what he understood from the world system. So he assembles this big entourage. Picture this in your mind now. I mean, he, he didn't just come by himself. He came with a whole group of people, his servants, you know, all this gold, these horses, mules, you know, this huge entourage. Why? It's because he's trying to impress Elisha with his person. He's trying to impress Elisha with his status and, and, and with his prominence. And, and no doubt, as he was stomping off angry, he was basically saying, does he not know who I am? Does he not know uh, what I can do to him? Does he not know the power that I have? So for, for Naaman, it was about ego. For Naaman, it, it, it was about his wealth. And so he showed up to impress and he showed up to negotiate. He wanted... And so do you see why he was so offended when Elisha didn't come out to see him, to see how great he is, to see how awesome he is, to see how much wealth he has, and to see how much, for that matter, how, how big his need was. Leprosy, again, it creates horrible sores and wounds and, and breaks down the skin and breaks down the body. And, and maybe he was hoping that once Elisha saw how severe his situation was, that, that he would respond to that. And, and, and yet Elisha did not come to the door, did not come to be impressed, did not come to negotiate. Because again, all the blessings and benefits of God are freely given. 
You, you, if you're trying to put God in your debt, you are wasting your time. He will owe no man anything, but will freely give you all things. That's grace. Amen. And any effort on our part to try to negotiate, to try to bargain with God, to try to put him somehow in our indebtedness because we've done all this for him and we've given all this to him and we've sacrificed all this for him and look at us and how good we are. Again, that is completely opposite and foreign to the way God thinks, to the way God operates, to, to the way he um, dispenses, if you will, uh, blessings and benefits and, and even miracles in, in people's lives. There's also something else here that, that I want you to see. and I, I, The Holy Spirit really breathed on this part uh, for me this, this past week. One of the things that Naaman said was, and I'll paraphrase, I, sus- I expected him to come out and wave his hand. Watch this now. I expected him to come out and wave his hand over me and heal me. That was how he envisioned this whole thing going down. Based on what Naaman understood, that's an important word right there, understanding how he saw things, how he looked at things, how he thought things would unfold, how he thought all this would happen, how he thought it would all go down, right? He had envisioned it. He would ride in. Elisha would come out. Elisha's a powerful man, but not as powerful as Naaman. Naaman has his whole entourage. He's got all this wealth. He's got all these things that he's ready to, to give and negotiate with, with Elisha and, and, and see what he he can do to, to bargain with him and get him to owe him now a, a, a miracle and a blessing. And then he envisioned uh, Naaman just kind of, I'm sorry, Elisha just kind of waving his hand over Naaman and Naaman being healed. None of it went down like that. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that, listen to me, please hear me out. Please hear me out. I'm, I'm not saying that we necessarily think exactly that way, but how many people in the body of Christ are sitting back waiting for God to wave his hand over their lives and make all their troubles go away? How many people in the body of Christ have the same mindset as Naaman? They're showing up trying to impress God, but they are not willing to do anything that God instructs them to do. Are you hearing me? They just want God to, to wave a magic wand and it all go away. They want, they, want, they want him to somehow, uh, you know, do everything for them while they sit around and eat donuts, right? And just wake up one morning and everything's magically, deliciously fixed. But that's, that's, not, that's not the ways of God. That's not, that's not how God operates. And, and, and the two things that we see that, that Naaman did not have when he showed up at Elisha's house that he absolutely positively needed was humility and faith. He needed humility and he needed faith. And as long as he remained in a position of arrogance, he would not receive anything from God. And as long as he received in a, in a position of, of, of going by the way things looked, seemed, and felt, and appeared, and how he thought it was all going to go down based upon his understanding of how these kinds of things worked, right? How, again, how many people in the body of Christ today consider themselves to be experts in things of God and know nothing? They know nothing. Aren't willing to do anything? How many people, how many people have showed up in churches all around the world this morning with an attitude of, listen, I'm here, but don't ask me to do anything. Don't ask me to do stuff. And Naaman saw it as being beneath himself to have to do anything other than impress with his person and, and, and purchase with, with what he had brought. And, and, and that, that was how he was going to get his miracle that day. But again, God's ways are different from man's ways. It's not how any of this works with God. Now, at the end of the story, and I'll get fill in the middles, at the end of the story, we see that Naaman does receive his healing, and he does confess to Elisha 
that his God is the only true and living God and there is no other. And he asks, anybody familiar with this part of the story? He asks Elisha if he can load up two of his mules with dirt from Israel and carry it back to Syria. Two mule loads of dirt was what he asked for. And Elisha said yes. Now why is, why is he two mule loads of dirt? It's because the way he understood God's was that gods were only uh, powerful in certain geographical locations. So that the gods in Syria had jurisdiction, if you will, in Syria, but the God of Israel only had jurisdiction in Israel. Now, we know better than that, right? David said that he was God of the whole earth, amen, that he's not limited to, to uh, one geographical location, Right? But again, how many people in the body of Christ today think that they've got to be in a specific place at a specific time with a specific song playing in the background and a specific man or woman praying with all these things that we think have got to come to pass. Again, we don't understand the ways of God and how God is desiring to work in and through our lives. But he wanted those two mule loads of dirt because he wanted to bring Israel back to Syria with him. And he wanted to lay those, that dirt out so that he could get on those two piles of dirt and worship the God of Israel in Syria with Israel's soil underneath his feet. All right, now, after he gets through ranting and raving, one of his servants says this. If he had asked you to do something hard, would you have done it? How simple could it be to just go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River? So humility and faith, watch this now, humility and faith. It is, it is no coincidence, listen to me now, it was, it was by strategic design that the instructions that were given to Naaman required humility on his part. Faith cometh how? Faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So he had his word from God, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Faith without works is dead. So you've got to hear and respond to the word of God. He heard the word from God, but was offended by it, thought it was beneath him, and left angry. But then as that anger kind of burned off, if you will, amen? Anybody relate to anger burning off? Anger kind of burned off. It kind of settled down. And you can only rant and rave for so long, and you just get tired of ranting and raving, right? And you kind of start to seethe and and stew and perfume and all stuff. So he's kind of, he, the, the fury has, has died down. Uh, we, we're, we're now in the fuming stages uh, of, of his anger and offense. Amen. And one of his servants says, if he'd asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. But instead he asked you to do something easy. Can I give you the New Winslow International translation of that? Sir, what do you have to lose? You're a walking dead man anyway. So what did he do? He humbled himself. He went and dipped himself in the river, just like God had said, and received his healing. He then comes back and tries to pay Elisha. Elisha does see him this time, but refuses to take anything from him. Why? Because you can't buy, listen to me now, you can't buy the things of God. So one more time, the benefits of salvation are freely given, but are not automatically enjoyed. Now, this is, this is what's burning in me this morning. Okay? And, and, and I, I want it to burn in you. I pray that it'll, that it'll catch fire in you, that, that, it, that it'll start to, to um, 
you know, when I say consume you, I mean like the Holy Spirit, you know, like the prophet said, fire was shut up in his bones. The, the fire that's shut up in my bones this morning is I am ready for God's people to enjoy the benefits of their salvation. I, I, want, I want you and every person listening to me and every person that I have, for that matter, I want the entire body of Christ, people that have never heard my voice a single time. But I, don't, I can't speak to everybody at once this morning, but I can speak to those who will give me the place in their lives for a few minutes, whatever, on this Sunday morning to speak into their lives. I want to see you and I want to see your family enjoying the benefits of what Jesus paid such a high price to give you, what he bled to death naked on the cross to put in you. Amen. I want to see you enjoying that and experiencing that but if you have that if you have Naaman's attitude that you're just waiting on God to be impressed enough with you to do something for you without ever understanding what he's already given to you if you're not willing to do anything different amen sometimes I'll just you know situations where you know, I've worked with with somebody personally, one on one, for some in some cases years. You know, I'm trying to be gentle here. Just stay with me, all right? But one one of the things it'll finally come to this. One of the things I'll ask myself, if you would, just please take out a piece of paper, and would you write down anything? If it's just one thing, would you write down something, anything? that you're willing to do differently than you're doing right now. And you'd be amazed at how offended people get at that. Right? Because I guess they just want me to wave my hand over their life and fix everything that's broken. Right? But not willing to do anything different. Okay? You still with me? Now, that's back to the comfort zone, right? If the life you were looking for was in your comfort zone, you would have found it by now. But what, what do we see, right? Naaman had to get out of his comfort zone. He, he had to get out of his comfort zone, up on his high horse, literally up on his high horse, probably one of the finest horses on planet Earth that he rode into Israel on that day. And by the way, have you thought about this, the gall? It's like, well, I'll tell you what, go back and get the slaves that you drug out of Israel and bring them here and we'll talk about it. But see, even then, you're seeing the mercy and kindness and grace of God. He, he, didn't, he didn't even say anything like that. Because again, God takes no pleasure in the death even of a wicked man. Think about that for a moment. Think about the heart of that, of that young lady who had, who had been enslaved by this man. Taken from her family, taken from her house, taken from her homeland, forced into slavery. And yet she says, Man, if you could only figure out some way to get with Elijah, he'd heal you. He can heal you. It's amazing. It's the, but see, again, think of all the different times and ways that that God has has reached out to us in, in expected ways, unexpected ways people that he's put in our path, things that we've heard, song on the radio, just all kinds of different ways in our lives where he's reaching out to us. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Amen. It's easy for us to judge Naaman. And why would God want to do anything for for a man like Naaman? Why would we want to do anything for a man like me? 
Why would he want to do anything for a man or woman like you? Man, because he loves us. And he wants good for us. So again, the benefits of salvation are freely given, but they're not automatically enjoyed. So I want to, in the few minutes that we have remaining, I'm going to get just a little bit of review. Contentment, peace, joy, and rest are all internal conditions of the heart and are not dependent upon external circumstances. Again, we're talking about benefits that we've been given. These, I call them, and you've heard me say this, some of you, over and over again, these inward realities of the new birth. Jesus said this in, in, uh, in Matthew. He said, come and I will give. Learn and you'll find. So it's one thing for God to give these things to you, give rest to you, give peace to you, give joy to you, give freedom to you, give righteousness to you, give abundance to you, give wisdom to you. He, the, again, if you could stay here till 7 o'clock tonight, I could show you every bit of that in Scripture. All the things that he's given to you, give love to you, give glory to you, give his name to you, give his seed to you, give his son to you, give his Holy Spirit to you, give his word to you, give you a seat with Jesus on a throne next to him in heaven, give that to you. All of these things are internal conditions of the heart and they are not dependent upon external circumstances. But they are dependent upon mindsets and attitudes. Amen. That's key right there. They are dependent upon mindsets and attitudes. Now, we said this week before last when I was with you, we said your soul acts as a valve between your born-again spirit and your outward life reality. So again, we, we said they're freely given, freely deposited. The Bible says you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's Ephesians 1.3. So all of these things reside in your spirit. The question then, if I could just break it down as simple as I know how to do it, how do we get it out of our spirit into our life where we can enjoy it? Does that make sense to you? If you've already been given these things, then how, how, do, we, how do we get them out of where they're deposited in our hearts, in our, in our spirit? How, how do we bring those things forth in, in, a, in, a, in a real way so that we can enjoy and experience those things in our life reality? Well, the, the short answer is it, it has to pass through your soul. So we say your soul acts as a valve between your born-again spirit and your outward life reality. We're seeing that it's your thinking. It's, it's, the, it's the mindset. It's the attitude that we have. Notice what was, what was preventing Naaman from receiving the healing that Father God had already agreed to give to him. It was his mindset. It was his attitude. It was his thinking. He had already had all of these ideas. He had already had all these thoughts and thinking about how this was going to work and how it was supposed to work based upon, watch this now, he had those thoughts and thinking based upon things he had learned in his temple back home at Syria worshiping foreign gods, okay, but also based upon his worldly experience of, of how he impressed people and how he bought things and how he took amen think about that how many things that he wanted he just went and took them stole them if you will and so this is the mindset this is the attitude that he has and so you know i'm sure as he's stomping off mad he's thinking does that man not realize i could kill him and burn his house down right now and dare israel to do anything in return i mean he's like just fuming and infuriated and, and all these other things and i know some of that may sound like so far fetched and and so far removed from attitudes that that people have in the in the church today but not so much 
How many people on planet earth today are mad at God because God didn't do for them what they thought he owed them or should have done for them because he didn't recognize their person, he didn't recognize their power, he didn't recognize their sacrifice, he didn't recognize all these things, right? That, that, and so now they're mad at God. If Naaman had not listened to that brave servant who said, if he had asked you, if, you know, who basically brought him back to a place of being sober-minded, it's like, dude, you're intoxicated with offense and pride and anger right now. But let me try to sober you up, sir. You're a dead man walking. What do you got to lose? You travel this whole way and you're going to go home mad when all you got to do is go dip seven times in a river to be cleansed. And, and, he, and he went and did it. But see, there's so, there's so many people. Like, let me give you an example. Jesus, when he taught us to pray, we act like he didn't say this at all, but he said this. He said, do not think you will be heard and answered for your much asking. He said, that's how the heathen pray. That's how people pray to their false gods. I feel like I'm losing some of you. Come on back now, a few more minutes. That's how the heathen pray. They think that if they just keep asking over and over and over and over again for their much asking, that somehow their much asking is finally going to be enough asking to get God to move on their behalf, to get God to do something. Notice what's at the root of that mindset, what's at the root of that attitude. Okay, God, surely we've prayed enough now for you to get off your backside and do something. We had people praying in, in, in 50 states and three countries. And if anybody ever deserved a miracle, he did, she did. And see, now they're mad. They're mad at God, furious, can't believe God wouldn't negotiate with us, can't believe God wouldn't recognize. You see what I'm talking about here. Now they're mad at God. God let us down. God didn't come through. God doesn't care. God this, God that. And the whole, and the whole time, they're just completely confused and ignorant when it comes to the ways of God. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. We will never operate in the ways of God thinking according to the ways of this world. Your soul acts as a valve between your born-again spirit and your outward life reality. What had to change for Naaman? His, his attitude, his mindset, and thankfully it did. This is one of my favorite verses that relate to this, this truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Just as your soul prospers. So, one more time. The benefits of our salvation are freely given, but they're not automatically enjoyed. You cannot enjoy the benefits of your salvation in your life reality with a weak and sickened soul with a diseased soul now there are some who talk about spiritual healings i don't want to offend you but the bible does not support the concept of a spiritual healing we were not spiritually sick we were spiritually dead Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live again. And he raised us up from our spiritual death. 
we were dead spiritually without any hope of ever being alive spiritually again. Thanks be to God for the great gift of His Son that because of what Jesus has done for us and because if a man or a woman accepts for themselves what Jesus has done for them as their substitute, we can be raised up together with Him to newness of life. Now, what we then need to understand is a resurrected spirit, but then a weak or a sickened or diseased soul. Now, if we were to talk about diseases of the flesh, sicknesses of the flesh, we could name a whole bunch of those. There's all kinds of things. Under the curse, right, that become, uh, you know, affect our physical body. We know a lot about that. Everything from the common cold to um, cancer to all these things that, again, affect the physical body. What though? What does a what does a sickened or a diseased soul look like? Okay, are you understand what I'm saying? In other words, what what would be a virus of the soul? What would be a disease of the soul? So these would be things like how about bitterness? How about pride? How about unforgiveness? How about indifference? How, how about uh, selfishness? That's an attitude, right? It's just a mindset. How about, you know, this whole what's in it for me approach? This whole self-help approach to the things of God. See, all of, all of these things are not, and I, listen, one of my favorite preachers in all the world, and I mean that, I listened to him. I, I started with his podcast in um, 2015 and, and just listened to it. If I, if I hit podcasts on my phone, it's, it's going to be him preaching. And I'm, I'm going to say his name because I, I love him and, and will listen to him today. Don't misunderstand me. But he was, he was preaching a couple of weeks ago talking about this sickness of our spirit, a sick spirit. My friend, if you've been born again, your spirit isn't any more sick than Jesus is sick this morning. Because you've received his spirit. Your spirit's not sick. The, the, the disease, the, the infirmity. Infirmity means weakness, but it also means the inability to get results. Or the inability to experience results. Listen to me, please. Your spirit has already received all the results. It's the, it's the valve of the soul. So he says that you may prosper in all things and be in health, even as, just as your soul prospers. So the benefits of salvation are freely given, but not not automatically enjoyed. How do we enjoy the benefits of our salvation? It, it, It goes back then to the condition of our soul. Your soul is your mind, emotions, and will. Your soul is your mind, emotions, and will. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. Your soul is your mind, emotions, and will. And you will experience the benefits of your salvation in your life reality to the extent that your mind has been renewed, reconditioned, and reset with the thoughts and ways of God. See, when we say somebody is set in their ways... We often think they're set in their ways of doing things. But Isaiah 55 makes a very powerful connection. 
God says this. He said, your ways are not my ways because your thoughts are not my thoughts. Are you seeing this? See, when someone has become set in their ways, they've become set in their way of doing things because they've been set in their way of thinking. You will never effectively change the way you do until you change the way you think because thoughts and ways are connected together. We've, we've tried, and, and this is one of the reasons that so many people have walked away from Christianity disillusioned. It's because they've gotten saved, they've come to a church, and the pastor only, always talks about their behavior, always talks about changing their behavior, always talks about what they better change and what they better do different. And if you're going to go to heaven, you better stop this, and you better do this, and all these other things. And so all this emphasis is on our behavior with no emphasis on the thinking that produces the behavior. And so we're trying to change our ways without changing our thoughts. And you will never effectively or, 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 or permanently change your ways unless you allow the Holy Spirit to help you change your thoughts. The more you think like God thinks, the more you will live like God lives. But if we insist on hanging on to unforgiveness, that right there is, is one of the, the biggest Sicknesses of the soul, unforgiveness, jealousy. You're getting quiet on me up here. Envy. How about this one? Covetousness. When you want what somebody else has got. All of the all of these things are are issues with problems with sicknesses of the soul. That effectively, listen to me please, if the, if the soul is a valve, and it is, if all the benefits of your salvation that, that you've already been given are in your spirit and have to pass through your soul to be experienced in your outward life reality, the soul is a valve, and if the soul is a valve, and it is, then things like envy, jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, selfishness, all of these things are literally shutting that valve off and preventing the good things that are in you from flowing through you and out of you, being a blessing and benefit both to you and to the world around you. Now, <clears throat> praise the name of the living God. Where's our time go? Your mind is the driving force of your soul. Your soul is more than just your mind, but your mind is the key player. If you notice, I put in parentheses underneath that. And, I, and it would do you well to take a picture of that or write that down. Thoughts determine emotions and emotions influence choices. Again, your soul is your mind, emotions, and will. Your thoughts, your, your feelings, and your choices. Okay? But what you think about and how you think, what you think about and how you think. Jesus didn't just say, be careful what you hear. He said, be careful how you hear. We often hear things through a preconceived notion notice how naaman heard the simple instructions he was given he heard them through a filter of arrogance he heard them through a, through a, a filter of pride and 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 self-absorption and who does this man think he is and and i've got the money that he i've got more money with me right now than he'll ever see in his lifetime he just needs to come out here and wave his hand over me and fix this and i'll make him a rich man see that's how that, but notice now that's that's preventing healing from coming into his body. 
You cannot walk by faith in the Spirit as long as your mind is set on external worldly and fleshly things. You cannot walk by faith in the Spirit as long as your mind is set on external worldly and fleshly things. There's one last part, and I know we're going to do communion. Let, let me get this one part said, and I'll skip down, and we'll come back to this next week. Are you getting anything out of this? Okay, all right. So do you see, listen to me. Your born-again spirit has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The devil knows that. Sadly, a large portion of the body of Christ, a large portion of born-again people do not know that. But not only have you been made completely new, and not only has your new spirit become one with God's spirit, your spirit has been sealed with the Holy Spirit so that the good that's in you can't be taken from you, can't get out of you, so to speak, away from you. And the bad can't get to it and contaminate it. Amen. Sealed. The devil knows that. So his entire strategy shifts once a man or woman gets born again. Before you're born again, he tries everything that he can try to keep you from being born again, to keep you from receiving salvation. The day you were born again, if you've been born again, every devil in hell was opposed to you receiving for yourself what Jesus has done for you as your substitute. But notice, every devil in hell couldn't stop you once you decided to call upon the name of the Lord and receive that gift of salvation. But now what happens is the strategy shifts. Now it, it shifts towards trying to, to emphasize things in your soul that will prevent, that will, that will stop or at least slow down the good things that are inside of you from flowing forth from you, out of you, so that you actually experience the abundant life, so that you actually experience Amen. The, the overflowing blessings of God, the, the dominion that you have in the name of Jesus, the freedom from sin that you have in the, in, 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 as one being born of his seed. So you cannot walk by faith in the Spirit as long as your mind is set on external, worldly, and fleshly things. Now, Thank you, Father. All right. I want, you to, I want you to pay close attention. There's a lot of verses here. We'll come back and backfill some of this next week. I want, I want to plant two images in your mind. Okay? The first one would be, like, let's say they've built a, a road. Um, when they were building I-22 up here, um, you know, they had to cut through some pretty you know, steep hills and things to get that interstate through there. And once they cut through that, they then go in and grade that bank. So the image I want you to see in your mind is like a large dirt bank that's got a pretty good slope to it, okay? And it's smooth and just everything is just well-groomed and it looks nice. And before they can get any grass or anything like that planted on it, a heavy rain falls and starts running down that slope, and it's going to eventually cut grooves in that slope. And the moment enough of that water comes together in one spot and runs down that slope and cuts a little groove, or we could say a ditch or a channel in that, okay, um, it automatically, because water finds the path of least resistance, okay? So now thoughts are like that. Thoughts find the path of least resistance. I'll come back in a minute, okay? So the, word, the, the water then, it, it now it goes 
down that channel, more water is being attracted to the channel, which is making the channel deeper and deeper and wider and deeper and wider. So now you've got more and more water being funneled down that, and, and it's creating this one place where you've got all these other spots of the bank where no water's running down because it's finding that one spot. You got that image? Okay. Now, I want you to, um, to also picture now like some really high brush. You know, let's just say a big field and the, and the grass, whatever brush is about this high, and people have been walking through that brush, and because of traffic, they've created a pathway through it. And it's much easier now when you come to the field across the field, rather than going through the thick brush, just to follow the same path that's already been made. And so the more, the, the, the more pronounced the path becomes, the more people take the path, and the more people take the path, the more pronounced the path becomes, and it just it becomes established as, as the pathway. One of my favorite shows on Smithsonian Channel is um, Aerial America. And there are places that are still visible from the air that were worn into the earth from the Oregon Trail. People headed to the, to the northwest in, in wagons and things. It became the established path. And it, and it became, you know, through the prairie and all of this stuff. I mean, it wore it down to the rock now to the point that even grass won't grow there. Okay. So you got the, the, the dirt with the water running down in the channel. You got the, the path, okay? I'm wanting you to recognize, <clears throat> have you ever heard the expression a one-track mind? A one-track mind. See, when we, when we have a one-track mind, the, the way we think carries us to the same place every time, every time, every time. And when we get locked into this one-track mind, of thinking a certain way and responding a certain way and, and, and then ultimately behaving a certain way, the more we do that and think that way, the deeper the channel becomes, the more worn the path becomes. And so in the same way that any traveler now is going to take the path of least resistance, water coming down the hill is going to take the path of least resistance. When we establish patterns of thinking in our minds, those patterns do the same thing in our brain. They cut channels into, into the synaptic uh, impulses in our brain, and, and literally they become the, the go-to automatic way that we think. We develop a one-track mind. Okay. Now, how, 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 do we, how do we change this? So, because this is ultimately, the Bible tells you, and I'll show you this in Scripture next week, but the Bible says that you have to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Set means what? A deliberate, intentional action where you choose to do it, where you, where you deliberately, intentionally say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to look at this the way everybody looks at it. I'm not going to think about this situation the way everybody thinks about it. I'm going to wade off through the grass and I'm going to blaze a new trail with the Holy Spirit's help. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to take that path of least resistance and just automatically assume that this is how it's going to end. I'm not going to automatically assume that if I give money, I'm not going to have enough at the end of the month. I'm going to stop all these lies and things we've been told that we've believe and now believe so quickly and so easily, but I'm intentionally, deliberately going to establish a new path according to God's ways of thoughts and, and thinking, according to God's ways of, of doing and being. Amen. And guess what? The first time you cut through that path, it's going to be really challenging. And you're going to really just say, you know what, enough of this. I want to get back over on that easy path. But we're going we're gonna to keep blazing that trail. And then you do it again and again 
and again and again. And guess what happens? Now you're establishing a new one-track mind. And at the same time that you're establishing the new one-track mind, the old one-track mind, because you're not traveling on it anymore, it's growing up. And you can't even, you're losing sight of it. You're not remembering it anymore, Brother Donald. You're not, you're not remembering how you used to do things and how you used to live. That's become, you don't even know where that trail started anymore because you found the right path. And listen to me, brother, sister, the last thing the devil wants is for you to ever do it God's way and experience God's results. Because if you ever do it God's way and experience God's results, you'll never go back to the old way ever again. Amen. Let's just put a hard stop on it right here. Brothers, if you're going to serve communion, if you would come, please. But it's going to require some effort. Listen to me, please. It's going to require some effort for us. We're going to have to get out of our comfort zone. And we're going to have to start looking at things deliberately. You say, well, Pastor Mark, that, you know, that, that seems hard. Well, the devil's job is to make it seem hard. He tries on purpose to make it seem hard. Remember, there's a way out for you, but it's a way you've never been before. And if you don't... <clears throat> I could, just, I could preach to 3 o'clock today. It, it's a way you've never been before. And the only way you'll ever take a path that you've never been down before is if you trust the person leading you. That's why a father can only take you as far as your trust in him will allow. Amen. Matt, Vanessa, Daniel, Phil, we'll get your emblems and come on up. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Now see, I wish, listen to me please, I wish that I could just wave my hand over you and all the benefits of your salvation just gush out of you. Like, like uh, somebody struck oil, like Jed Clampett. You know, just up from the, up from the earth uh, comes, um, you know, bubbling blessings. Amen. But see, that's not how this works. I wish that, I say this tongue in cheek, I wish that I could tell you some amount of money to give or some sacrifice to make. Look, if you'll just... If, if you'll just give this much money, and listen, we'll keep a record of it. Once you get to this certain dollar amount, then... No, but see, again, no, 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 no. And there are people who, who have given with wrong motives and, and now say that you know, there's nothing to that uh, prosperity gospel. There's nothing to that. Again, they're, like, they're just bitter namens. They, they, they haven't done it God's way yet. And they haven't experienced God's reality in their lives yet. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. So... I want to come back and make sure you connect all this with where we started. The blessings of your salvation are freely given, but not automatically experienced. You, you, you can't walk in the flesh. You can't walk based upon how things look, seem, and feel and experience the, the, the joys and blessings of, of God's salvation in your life. It, it, it's not going to happen. But if you'll let him teach you how to walk by faith in the Spirit... Walk by faith in the Spirit. Your soul, your mind and thoughts coming into alignment with God's mind and God's thoughts, which then will bring your ways of being and doing into alignment with His ways of being and doing. It's a powerful, powerful thing. A powerful, powerful thing. Amen? Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Sing, brother, and then we'll 